one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is part two about the shocking murder of Katerina Konyeva, an innocent little girl who was brutally raped and strangled to death in her own bedroom by an unknown assailant. It was a devastating attack which would destroy a family forever, but not for the reasons you might expect. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 84, The Beast, Part 2. Today, I'm standing on Uxbridge Road, off Shepherd's Bush Green, W12. One street north of the murdered schoolgirl Katerina Konyeva, half a mile south of Old Oak Road, where Marta Ligman was shoved into a suitcase and drowned in the canal, a few yards from the first date killer's bloody pit stop, and two stops south of the death of eight-year-old Peter Buckingham, coming soon to Murdermar. Shepherd's Bush is dreary and grim. What began as a quaint little village, dotted around a crisp little green, on the outskirts of London, has since been swamped by an ever-growing city, sullied by the same old deadbeats sitting in the same old shops. Where the fat waddling sprogs wheezing into McDonald's, the permanently pissed piddling away their benefits and paddy power, shit parents letting their sweet little angels run like loons amongst the blisteringly hot liquids in Costa, because buying a coffee is easier than going to a park and cheaper than hiring a babysitter, and the usual ragtag band of old bigots banging on the Weatherspoon's doors at 6am to celebrate their 50th year of taking a sickie, with a pint, a pie, a perusal of their favourite fascist tabloid, 
featuring a headline about how the benefit-sponging illegal immigrants killed the Queen Mum, all the while whinging about anyone who's brown, gay, or looks like a terrorist, having started every sentence with the phrase, I'm not a racist, but... Keeping tabs on it all, at 252 Uxbridge Road, just by the Green, and one street north of Goldhawk Road, is Shepherd's Bush Police Station. A truly ugly Soviet-style building made of concrete blocks, where usually a panicked victim could pop in to report a vicious assault. But since the former Home Secretary, and now Britain's second worst Prime Minister in history, Theresa May, decimated the police force, closed almost every station, and had the front office at Shepherd's Bush shut, all that remains to inform the terrified is a little sign telling you either to call 999, report it online, or to go elsewhere. And although the cells at Shepherd's Bush still house not only thugs, muggers, burglars, rapists and terrorists, it once held the police's prime suspect in the murder of 12-year-old Katerina Konyeva. As it was here, on the evening of Thursday the 22nd of May 1997, following the initial investigation and just hours after her murder, that the police began questioning their prime suspect. The Konyeva's first floor flat at 35 Ifley Road was no longer a family home. It was a crime scene. As the sun began to set over Shepherd's Bush, the silent thrum of blue flashing lights illuminated both sides of this quiet residential street. But whereas just hours before, babies had squealed, parents had chatted, and children had played, it was now bathed in the reverent silence of shock, disbelief, and horror. Outside of 35 Ifley Road, over the black iron gate, the small brick wall, and the tiny garden through which little Katerina had last walked, stood a blue forensics tent. The dark front door was guarded by officers, and the family home swarmed with strangers in black uniforms and white paper suits. Inside, the flat was untouched. Everything was as they had left it that morning, with dishes in the sink, socks on the radiator and crumbs on the breadboard, as well as a calendar marked with days out, duties and exams, and adorning any spare space were the cherished photos of this perfect little family of four. Sweet little snaps of happier times which would never return, like holidays, birthdays, Christmases and their former homeland in Macedonia the country they had fled to be safe. In the bedroom lay reminders of this timid little girl's life. Her teddies on the bed, her idols on the wall, and a little keyboard on which she dreamed of being a pianist, all scattered amongst the debris of her last moments alive. Her school uniform, her English exam paper, her chair used to wedge the door shut, her daddy's handprints on her chest as he fought to make his baby breathe. The kitchen knife he had dropped, having failed to sever the strap of her much-loved Virgin Airlines bag, 
It tightened so tight that her last sight was her frantic daddy struggling to cut the suffocating tourniquet which strangled her. And in the center of all this pain and horror, with her cardigan disheveled, her white t-shirt bloodied, and her tracksuit bottoms all ripped and torn, lay the little body of Katerina. At 5pm, as the paramedics stood down, the tiny girl was pronounced dead and the family home was declared a crime scene. Although his daughter lay lifeless on the bedroom floor, he wasn't allowed to hold her, kiss her or cradle her. As she was no longer his baby, now she was evidence. Later that evening, a hushed silence fell across Ifley Road as in a small black bag, her minuscule frame was loaded into a discreet black van. And as the ambulance crept away at a solemn speed, the residents of this quiet little street were left with an unnerving thought that behind the walls, doors and locks of their own homes, no one would be safe. A few hours later, in the cells of Shepherd's Bush Police Station, the police already had their prime suspect for the murder of Katerina Konyeva. But the man behind the bars wasn't the beast. For the police, most murders aren't a mystery. The most obvious suspect is usually the guilty party. In almost every murder, the suspect is often a friend, a family member, a colleague, or a rival of the deceased. The murderer is usually someone with something to gain or lose, whether money, pride, or status, who has a direct connection to the location, who often owns the murder weapon, who commits the crime in a heat of passion, and the prime suspect is quickly arrested, as it's almost impossible to leave no trace of yourself behind. When questioned, Tragic claimed that Katerina had been attacked in her bedroom by a stranger. But stranger-related murders in your own home are incredibly rare. You don't kill someone you don't know in a place you don't know for no reason. So although this grieving father would later blame his daughter's death on a mystery man that the press would later dub the Beast, in these early stages of the investigation, the police's prime suspect in the murder of Katerina Konyeva was her own daddy. Of course, it's easy to sit there and condemn the police for their decision to suspect an innocent man, having only listened to one episode of a podcast written by a person who wasn't there, 23 years after the murder and based on a culmination of a six-year police investigation, the details of which as all podcasts do, have been cherry-picked and condensed into an easily digestible 30-minute chunk, so the story appears clear and logical. But the police didn't have that luxury. So as Tradge stood alone in the police cell, still shocked by the scenes he had witnessed, and traumatised by the guilt that, had he not chased the beast, he might have saved his baby, Dressed in nothing but a white paper suit, taped to the wrists and ankles to preserve any evidence, 
although he knew he was innocent. To the police, his story seemed implausible, and aspects of the case just didn't make sense. If he was innocent, why did none of the neighbours see anyone but Traj and Katerina enter the flat that afternoon? If the culprit was a burglar, how did he get in and why was nothing taken? Why were only his and her fingerprints found inside the room, on the knife and on the red strap used to strangle her? Why did no one hear her scream, but everyone heard him shout? If this was a premeditated murder, why did the killer not bring a weapon? If this was a crime of passion, why would a stranger choose to murder a 12-year-old schoolgirl in her own home? And how would a stranger know that on this particular day, Zakalina would be out, Traj would be late, and Katerina would be alone? We know he was innocent, and the police would later prove it. But being held in a police cell, with his daughter's blood on his hands, he looked like a guilty man, to his wife Zaglina and their son Christian. Zaglina started shouting. What have you done? She was kicking and screaming at me. All I wanted to do was to hug my wife and cry with my family. I had lost my little girl, but my wife was attacking me. And my six-year-old son was looking at me with hate in his eyes. I couldn't believe what was happening. They thought I had killed my little Katerina. A thorough police investigation would exonerate Traj and prove the presence of a stranger. The size 5 boot prints proved that the culprit was a short, stocky male, matching the man that Traj had chased. Finding no other fingerprints in the bedroom, the police suspected the culprit had worn gloves. But having removed them to flee from the first floor flat, the attacker had left several sets of short fat fingerprints on the windowsill, glass and ledge. With no obvious signs of a break-in, as the front door initially looked untouched, although burdened by stubby fingers, the attacker was clearly skilled with locks, highly dexterous and adept as a burglar. Using her strap to suffocate her and her pen to fix the tourniquet, this unique combination of found items, fashioned as a garrote, showed that he was a very calm and confident strangler. And as nothing in the flat was smashed or stolen, he had only one motivation, the violent rape of a young girl. A day later, although the sight of a man brandishing a knife and the theft of a black Fiat Uno seemed unrelated. Seeing the news report on Katerina's murder, four eyewitnesses came forward and gave a description of the beast. He was stocky, five foot six inches tall, with dark receding hair, of Greek or Arabic appearance, and as no one could identify his accent, they simply said he sounded foreign. Police had his fingerprints, a vague description, a few grainy frames of CCTV footage, and a strand of short dark hair found on Katerina's cardigan. But it wasn't enough. What they didn't know was who he was, where he was now, and why he had targeted Katerina. 
and as the police hunted for the beast, although Trage was innocent in the eyes of the law, he wasn't in the eyes of his family. Once the forensics teams had left, and the first floor flat was no longer a crime scene, as this was still their home, what remained of the Konyeva family moved back into 35 Ifli Road. Everything was as they had left it. The dirty dishes, the drying socks, and the breadcrumbs. Only now their happy home was sullied by a series of cruel reminders. The bare squares where the carpet once was, black powder prints on white surfaces, a speckling of bloodstains on the bed, and the memory of where Katerina's body once lay. The grief of losing their beautiful baby in such a tragic way would prove too much for all of them, and as tensions and resentment mounted, the fragments of this little family of three began to implode. My son told me repeatedly that he hated me. I felt so angry, full of rage and guilt. I would argue all the time with my wife. It was the small things that set us off. Anything which reminded us of the pain of losing Catalina. Three years later, Traj and Zaklina separated. Christian disowned his father. And being wrecked with the guilt at his failure to save his daughter's life, Traj attempted suicide several times. I wanted to die. I was in so much pain from losing Katerina. I thought, I deserve this pain, and I have to suffer. And although their grief would never end, sadly the investigation would. Despite house-to-house -house inquiries, no one could identify this 5-foot-6-inch Greek or Arabic male. His unique criminal profile didn't match any known offenders. His fingerprints and DNA didn't appear on either the police or immigration databases. And even after an extensive inquiry and three separate appeals, as well as appearances on the BBC's Crime Watch, the trail went cold. One week after the murder, with no fresh leads, the press moved on. Two months after the murder, Princess Diana was killed in a car crash, and the people forgot that Katerina existed. Two years later, the senior officer in the case was moved onto the high-profile murder of TV presenter Jill Dando. And as the investigation stalled, the culprit disappeared, and the case went silent. But a beast will always be a beast and with his appetite for young girls never sated, he would go in search of another victim. On Sunday the 22nd of September 2002, five years later, and four miles west of Shepherd's Bush, an unnamed South Korean woman, who had arrived in England just three weeks prior, was trawling the adverts in a local newsagent's window near Ealing Broadway Station looking for a cheap flat or a bedsit to rent. She was a 21-year-old student, but being blessed with youthful skin, long dark hair, elfin-like features and a slim petite frame, she was often mistaken for a little girl. With her English limited and struggling to decipher the adverts, 
It was then that a man approached her and offered to help. He was mid to late forties, short, stocky, dark-haired, and of Greek or Arabic appearance, with an unplaceable foreign accent. But he didn't look like a maniac or a monster, a bastard or a beast. He seemed like a good Samaritan, doing a nice deed for a lady in need. She had no reason to be scared. His eyes were sad, his hands were small, and his face was smooth. And although he wore a black wig to hide his disappearing hairline, it wasn't a disguise. He was just a fastidiously neat little man with starched shirts, pressed trousers, and highly polished shoes. With needles and thread in his bag for his embroidery, and milk and biscuits for his nightly cup of tea. So when he said that he knew of a cheap bedsit nearby, she knew she would be okay. Hopping on the central line, and taking the tube one stop east to West Acton, they walked down Knoll Road onto Twyford Avenue, a respectable tree-lined street full of kids' bikes and family homes. And on this busy residential street, in broad daylight, he calmly led her into his ground-floor flat. As expected, it was basic. A solitary bed in a single room of a communal flat. There was a kettle, a telly, an ironing board, a rail of neatly pressed shirts, a black bag full of useful tools, and photos of his mum. Being a small room, there wasn't much to see, and after a minute, there was nothing more to say. She went to leave, but he wanted her to stay. As his door wasn't locked, he had asked politely, and as the other tenants could be heard moving around in the flat above, she assumed that she would be safe. But little did she know that she was alone with the beast. Without warning, he attacked. With his full 15 stone of bulk bearing down on top of her, he pinned her to the bed and began to stroke her hair, kiss her lips and lick her face. As she squealed, he shushed her. As she struggled, he smothered her. And as she screamed, he began to strangle her, squeezing her neck harder. And unable to shout, move or even breathe, Moments later, she passed out. When she awoke, her hands were bound, her mouth was gagged, and over the next three hours, the beast subjected his tiny little sex toy to a truly horrifying ordeal. As she was repeatedly choked and raped, choked and raped, choked and raped. Taking his semi-conscious victim to the brink of death, each and every time he violated her until he was done. And then, as if nothing had happened, he kissed her, cuddled her, and only after she had said that she loved him and promised to call him the very next day, he let her go. Instead, she went straight to the police and giving them his name his address, his description, and his mobile phone number. 
The Beast was arrested that very same day and charged with sexual assault, false imprisonment and multiple counts of rape. Tried at the Old Bailey, in his defence, he arrogantly claimed that the sex was consensual, a thank you for helping her find a bedsit. But following her brave testimony, a unanimous jury found him guilty and he was sentenced to nine years in prison. Nobody knew this, but the beast was finally behind bars. And without this vicious attack, he may never have been found. Having entered the UK illegally, he knew how to stay under the radar. He went under a false name, he used fake papers, his bedsit was by verbal agreement. He worked a cash-in-hand job as a tailor in a West London dry cleaners, and his only criminal conviction in the UK was for petty theft. They didn't know it, but the police had been looking for this man for five years. But the witness descriptions of him were wrong. He wasn't five foot six, he was five foot three. He wasn't mid to late forties, but 41. And he wasn't Greek or Arabic. In fact, the foreign accent that the witnesses had described was Polish. His name was Andrzej Kanowski. But being a recently convicted criminal and a registered sex offender, his details, DNA and fingerprints were uploaded onto the National Police Database, the DNA Database, the UK Immigration Service and Interpol. And they proved to be an exact match to a cold case. The soles of his size 5 boots were unique. The swirls of his fingerprints were perfect. And although his hair that day had been neatly trimmed, a single minuscule strand of his short dark hair had become trapped between the weave of Katerina's cardigan. On the 29th of July 2003, Andrei Konowski was charged with the murder of Katerina Konyeva. In March 2004, he was tried at the Old Bailey. And although he claimed that this was a case of mistaken identity, Using the eyewitness's description of the killer as being taller, older, and either Greek or Arabic, his fingerprints, his DNA, and the testimony of the Korean student were irrefutable. And based only on the evidence presented before them, a jury of eight men and four women took just three hours to find him guilty. Passing sentence, Judge Beaumont declared, you took the life of a child who was beginning to enjoy what this country had to offer. It was a life of great promise and you ended it with great violence and terror. Andrei Konowski was given a whole life sentence, meaning he would never be released. Having collapsed in court, at hearing the horrifying injuries inflicted on her daughter's body, Katerina's mother, Zakalina, said, I hope this evil murderer burns in hell. Knowing he's in prison is not enough. I hope he suffers every minute for the rest of his life. Her one consolation being that this sadistic rapist and paedophile would never attack a little girl ever again. 
and although Tradge would later state that they had beaten the devil, and this conviction would help heal the rift between husband and wife, it was a hollow victory. Their daughter was dead, the family was split, and all they had of their beautiful little daughter was photos, memories, a gravestone, and the dreams of what could have been. Had Katerina lived, she would have been 35 years old. Maybe married, with kids, a nice home, and a successful career as a teacher or a pianist. And perhaps spending her spare time traveling the world and filling her much-cherished Virgin Airlines bag with souvenirs. Perhaps, one day, she may have returned to her now peaceful homeland in Macedonia, the place her family had fled, to ensure that she was safe. But instead, she was buried in a small grave in Mortlake Cemetery. With the beast in prison, the case was over and the investigation was finally closed. But to ensure a fair trial, one piece of evidence had been deliberately withheld from the jury. His criminal record. And what began as a DNA link to a hauntingly similar attack unearthed a story of the systematic failure of the authorities in both Britain and Poland, which led a sexual predator, a sadistic paedophile, and one of the most prolific and dangerous sex offenders ever, attack again and again and again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. The concluding part of The Beast continues next week. If you're new to Murder Mile, don't forget to stay after the break where there's more extra goodies with Extra Mile. But before that, a thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Dan Jackson, Victoria Norris, and Gillian Payne Johnson. I thank you, and I hope you enjoyed your goodies. And as always, a big thank you to everyone who listens to Murder Mile and shares it with their friends. I thank you. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult with no name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Unless you're in a car, then don't sleep well because you'll crash the car or uh, don't sleep well if you're a, a teacher at school although you shouldn't really be listening to murder mile uh, if you're meant to be teaching at school uh, or doing you know, important jobs don't listen to murder mile while you're doing that because it can send you to sleep oh hello everyone welcome to extra mile we're here we're here with extra mile land oh stretch oh another early start up early well i was up early because I've moored up in a, a new place today, and there's a, there's some factories behind me. And I I I was out yesterday, and I heard that one of them has the fans on out back. I was like, oh, I need to, I should really get up early um, to make sure that I'm up before they put their fans on because it's you probably can't hear it here, but I'll probably edit it out anyway. But there's a, a hum in the background, uh, and then I woke up at five, and I was like, oh shit, they've already got their fans on, which is really annoying. Uh, and all already the the birds had already started waking up. I've got a tree next to me, so the birds there's some massive bird shits on my boat. I need to go out later on and give them a good scrub. The coots are already up, uh, so yeah, um, it, this was a bit of a noisy one, a noisy episode. Anyway, anyway, waffling time, waffling time. Everyone, this is extra mile. If you're new to murder mile, this is the waffly bit. I do some waffling. I make a cup of tea. I, I'll have a bit of a cake. We chat. We do our quiz. That seemed to go down well last week. So the, the quiz is going to continue. You can join if you like. You don't have to. It's not essential. But some people seem to enjoy it. So that was a new thing. I'm going to make a tea. Which means I'm going to bugger off up there for a bit. Out. You'll hear me disappear. You'll hear me walk away. Walking away. Walking away. Going up. Oh. Open one of the doors. Oh, it's a bit wobbly this morning. Oh, going to open the side door. Oh, this is the point where all the coots come to the door and go, oh, give me some food. No, although it is a nice clear day, I will say that it's a lovely clear day today. We have had, we've been in the grip, we had with Storm Kira, we had Storm Dennis, and the last four weeks of Murder Mile has just been uh, torrential rain. So uh, let's hope, let's hope that... Um, Actually, this Sunday it's going to piss down as well. So this has been the first day in ages where it's been clear. It's been lovely. So uh, just making a cup of tea. Oh, just opening some windows as well. Hang on. Almost there. Two sugars. This is a depressing day. I don't have a cake. Well, I do have a cake. Hang on. Hang on. Sugar in. Right. Coming back. Coming back. Me getting louder, coming back. Oh, I do have a cake, but it's a, oh, it's a donut. It's a donut that I bought about two days ago. It was in a pack of five, and I shouldn't really eat donuts because because I've got a, I've got a hernia, and therefore I'm on. I've always been on special medication, which means I can't. I don't have a lot of stomach acid, so I can't digest things properly. And I'm not meant to eat wheat, which is not a good thing, given the fact that I love cake and I love bread. But I do eat wheat, but I shouldn't. So anyway, there was a pack of five donuts from Sainsbury's, uh, the um, 
custard filled ones. I love the vanilla cream custard ones. Oh God, they're good. But I know I can't eat them. I, if I eat one, it'll do me damage. And then I've had four. So this one's been sitting there for two days. So I might have it or, which is my new crack. I might go to uh, just up the road is a, a branch of uh, bakers called Wenzel's. Wow, Wenzel's. And they, they do Belgian buns, which are very good. Big fat Belgian buns. Not as good as Griselda's over in Stamford Hill. If you're ever in Stamford Hill, go to Griselda's. It's a Jewish baker's. You'll know it's a Jewish baker's because all the all the um, Russian Orthodox Jews go there, and it's oh god, it's so good. They know how, they know how to do proper cakes, and they do good bagels, uh, and they do really good cakes. And the and the Belgian buns are oh, big and fat, and they've got right amount of cinnamon in them. Oh god, they're so good. So uh, yeah, but I'm gonna go to Wenzel's in a bit and grab me a Belgian bun. Oh, yes, but. Uh, what else are we doing? What else are we doing? I tell you what, while the kettle is brewing, I'll do the 10 questions. We'll get those done and then I'll give you the answers later on. So as always, 10 questions about this episode, they start easy and then they get harder. Uh, so see how well you do. Question number one, what police station was Traj taken to? Question number two, what two occupations did Katerina dream of being? Question number three. Katerina was declared dead at what time? Question number four. The name of the road that the beast lived on was what? Question five. What two high-profile events led to the public disinterest in the murder of Katerina? I mentioned two of them and they're really big ones. Six. Question six. What did the beast carry in his shopping bag? There were four items in total. Oh, my tea's done. You're going to have to wait. Nothing more important than tea. Cup of tea. Uh, today's tea of choice is PG, obviously. Proper, proper real tea. PG, not these fancy ones. Just a good old classic builder's tea. Leave it to stew for a little bit. Try not to leave it like I did last time. I'll go through, do my questions, then I'll go back. I've got to leave. You got to leave the tea to stew for a bit. You can't just wave the bag in it. Uh, so there's four items in his shopping bag. What were those four items? Question seven. Who? <laughs> uh, question seven. Who is, in my opinion, I've had to put that in brackets. Who is, in my opinion, the second worst UK prime minister in history? That's in my opinion. Uh, you can probably agree with me on this one. Uh, I think we all know who the first one is. Uh, uh, question number eight. What was found on Katerina's cardigan? Question number nine. What weight... Question number nine. What weight was the beast? Mm, I snuck that in there somewhere. But uh, if you remember that, good luck. Uh, question number ten. What job did the beast do in West London? Right. Oh, and there's another one. So I've put in a, there's an extra point here. Now this is a this is so ridiculously hard. Um, but if you want to, you can have an extra point for this. But last week's episode, I'll have put. I might have put it back into this week's episode. I don't know because I haven't edited it yet. But in last week's episode, uh, can you name? The British TV kids show that I used in last week's TV show. I didn't say the name of it, but I used it. And uh, 
it was the sound of when Katerina uh, was watching telly. Now, this is how, how much I love doing research. You know, I like to keep, I even like to keep the sounds consistent. If I, I try and get the proper car, if I can, if I can't, I try and make a sound that sounds like the real car. I try and get guns that sound like real things. In the Blackout Ripper, if there were um, Spitfires based at various bases, I'd use Spitfire sounds. If it, if there were hurricanes, I'd use hurricanes. So I, I like, I, there's a lot of pedants out there, so I like to keep things consistent. But with this one, I went in search of a TV show uh, that would have been on telly. We don't know whether Katerina was watching it, but um, it was a TV show that was on around the time she was murdered in May 1997. That's when it would have aired. So I used this program. So the extra big po- extra point question is, go and have a list of that. Uh, or if you spotted it, well done, because I did use the theme tune. Uh, it's hidden in there. But what was the name of the uh, British kids TV show that I used in that episode of to, to show that Katerina was watching telly? Ah, oh, cool, dear, that was that was hard work. Uh, oh, oh, tea! 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 I almost forgot my tea then. Right, oh, it's nice, it's nice and stewed. Yeah. Uh, oh! Say this before I get there. So, uh, uh, happy birthday to Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris, it's uh, it's your birthday today. I sent you a little prezi. It's, it is a little prezi, I apologise. Not all of it turned up. So you would have received it today. It's your birthday today. So I'm recording this on your birthday. Happy birthday. That's exactly what you would have wanted. Uh, so happy birthday. Hello. Uh, so that's for you. Um, that's better than buying someone a present, isn't it? Just me saying hello. Uh, so... Uh, there's that. I've got my tea. I've got my cake, which I might have. Uh, everything's going well here. Got my new laptop that's running fine. Um, it cocked up for a bit because of Windows 10. Windows bloody 10. But now it's doing fine. 10 to 10 to 14 hour battery, which is great. So whew. in the old days, I used to kind of record and then because um, it would take two hours. And I had a three-hour and then I'd do I'd, I'd do a little bit of work, and then I go, oh shit, I'm gonna have to save it, and I'd I'd literally be watching my battery counter go five percent, four percent, three percent, and then the counter on my screen of what I'd saved of the audio literally going ninety-six percent, ninety-seven percent. I was like, oh, which one's gonna run out first? Is it gonna be gonna be? Uh, will the will the will I save what I've just recorded, or will the battery fail first? And whereas now it's like this is. Re- ridiculously long battery i mean it's great look at that i've been recording for almost two hours and it's 91 percent 91 percent of my battery left which means this this can run until and i could keep this running until i go to bed this is great i mean probably till the morning actually it's uh it's a good battery so that's good that's good uh so that's episode two i hope you enjoyed that i'm not going to give you too much information about extra information about this episode here because we've got part three next week uh which i'm still writing now uh i'm slightly behind so i'm kind of writing and editing different episodes at the same time uh so i need to i need uh, i don't want to give you away too much and spoil things but next week's episode is all about andre kanowski um we go back into his earlier life we learn more about who he was because Learning about who he was will help you understand uh, why he picked Katerina Konyeva. Uh, and I'm just 
I'm just at the process of kind of writing. Uh, I've written about his early life, uh, where he comes from, his kind of childhood trauma, because obviously, you know, people don't start out as serial killers. You don't wake up in the morning and one day go, I think I'm going to be a paedophile today. It's like paedophiles come from, you know, ped- as they always say, paedophiles, you know, come from other paedophiles. You know, paedophiles are people who've been abused, and it's how you deal with the fact that you're abused. Some people kind of, kind of, move on from it and ignore it or some people kind of run away from it some people do you know if they're abused uh by another paedophile do you know they they need to get revenge they can't get revenge on the person who abused them so they they attack other people but to them it, it becomes a state of normality so um so that's why i've gone into kind of andre kanowski's early life so you can kind of see where he comes from i don't want you to kind of sympathize with him but do you, do you know it's interesting to see where he comes from what's going on in his head <sighs> and, and currently i'm trying to rewrite the uh the murder of katarina Kanieva, but from his perspective and it's uh it's a weird one it's interesting because you can see how he's thinking i'm trying to get into his mind of how he thinks about things and uh uh but uh yeah you're there's a lot in his past a lot in his past and then you're you're but it's it's one of those episodes that will make you very angry not him not him i mean he will but there's a lot going on that will make you go oh jesus christ how how does this happen so uh uh yeah all good fun um I'm going to play you some interesting things, if that's okay. Just because we're because we're not going to do too much on Andre Kanowski here. We, I'm going to fill you in on all of that next week uh, when part three is part three is done. It's the final episode, and then we go back to uh, single episodes. There's a couple of multi-parters coming up in the series, but uh, a lot of it will be uh, single-parters. Um, so I'm going to play you some interesting clips now. Whoa, this is exciting. Um, so. Uh, if you've, uh, if you're Swedish, uh, you will know that there's some fabulous pop- podcasts out there. I'm going to, I'm going to mangle the names of these. Uh, there's the Mass Mordar Podden, uh, Mass Murder Podcast. Uh, you've got, uh, Siri Morder Podden, which I've probably mispronounced, which is Serial, Serial Killer Podcast. And, uh, I think it's called Palmort. It's uh, the murder of the Swedish Prime Minister. Anyway, uh, fantastic guy, Dan Horninger, met on uh, my tour a while ago. And Ava, hello Ava as well. Um, we did, uh, met, we started talking, uh, some really fascinating podcasts. Uh, Dan got in touch and he said, look, he really likes Murder Mile, really loves uh, some of the episodes I've done. Uh, and said, would you mind if uh, we have the scripts and kind of translate them into Swedish in kind of a, a, a different version of Swedish. And I was like, yeah, I'd love that. That'd be really exciting. So it's, it's nice when people get in touch and they like things and they, they ask permission. Unlike some people who have nicked my research and they think it's okay just to say, ah, yeah, uh, we heard about this on this podcast. So annoys me, especially with cases when I've done all the research and there's nothing else out there except what I've written. Uh, anyway, Dan, really lovely got in touch said uh we'd love to do this can we can we do some episodes i was like yeah absolutely have have whichever episodes you want so the first one is done and it's really exciting so dan has done my first first episode which was the denmark place fire um this is just episodes exclusively for kind of his listeners it's behind a paywall so you you won't be able to get to listen to it uh unless you uh subscribe and you should do because dan's podcast are absolutely fantastic um but what i'm going to do now I'm going to play you a little... Dan's let me play uh, uh, a little clip of it. I'm going to play you the opening. Um, 
which is really exciting. Hopefully it'll tease some of our Swedish listeners to go and subscribe to Dan's podcast and uh, and his paywall. There's loads of really uh, ex- exciting uh, podcasts behind there. But this is the introduction uh, to, the Swe- to the Swedish version of uh, the Denmark Place Fire. Here we go. Massmordapodden, Denmark Place. Det här avsnittet skrivet av Michael J. Buchanan Dunn och översatt av mig Dan Hörning. Ljudsättning och klippning har gjorts av Emil Drugge. Tin Pan Alley var en gång i tiden ett paradis för musiker som ville bli något. Några som har bott, spelat in eller skrivit låtar här är The Kinks, The Who, Rolling Stones, Small Faces och Jimi Hendrix. Sex Pistols bodde på Denmark Street nummer 6. Elton John skrev låtar på Regent Sound Studio på Denmark Street nummer 4. En ung David Bowie sov i sin husbil på Denmark Street på nätterna medan han på dagarna njöt av stämningen i detta Londons rockutopia. There we go. The episode of the Denmark Place Fire through uh, via uh, Mass Murder Pod. Very exciting. Do you know what's even more exciting as well? Uh, um, the pronunciation there of my name was absolutely exact. It was perfect. Um, and yet in, in this country, like, people stare at my name and they go... They, they, some people just give up. I've had one person refer to me as Michael Buchanan Smith because it couldn't be asked to do done. It's like, I'm just... Uh, but no, that was perfect. So that... That was a Denmark Place Fire episode of Mass Mordar Podden. Uh, check it out. I've put a link in the show notes. Uh, but check out Dan's uh, other podcasts as well. Siri uh, Mordar Podden and Palmet. <gasps> I might have mangled that up. But check, check it out. That'll be on there. Uh, hang on. There we go. Right. Okay. Whew, I've got another another clip for you. This is very exciting. This is turning into like a clip. Let's, <laughs> let's just let's just hope because normally with extra mile I don't do anything because it's unedited. That's the whole point. I never check it unless I think sometimes that I may have said something that's a little bit inflammatory and normally it's okay. Uh, but I never check it. I never go back in. I normally just check the volume on it. I check uh that there's no kind of peaks in there so it doesn't sound too loud in places but i just used a bit of software to clear that and then i just i clip the end so it's so it's a little bit cleaner but i never check it i never listen to it so let's check that i let's hope that i do with this one otherwise you'll have me going here's a clip and then there'll be no clip uh, right oh we've got burpees again really got bad burpees today that's the problem with having a hernia is is uh, get a lot of burpees Whew. right um uh not about a month ago uh a podcast that i really love listening to it's called soho bites uh by uh, dom delaghi um i i think i started lis- listening like episode two i think uh which came out i think around last summer really interesting podcast uh it's based in soho which obviously a big most of murder mile is the walk especially is as well um but it focuses on kind of uh classic movies based in soho you'd think there wouldn't be that many but actually there is and it's 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 fascinating to listen to it's all about the history of soho it's all about the kind of uh, mostly about the films there the the kind of the stars because it's a bit it's a big kind of west end classic kind of or and it's all about gangsters and things like that so it's a really interesting podcast about kind of gangster movies and you know musicals and 
for for me it's fascinating listening to all these all these films that are kind of meant to be uh filmed in soho about soho but clearly weren't filmed in soho at all or the or i think there was one episode where there was it's meant to be about Soho, but clearly the person who had written the episode had never been there really didn't know what soho was so, so it, it's a, it's a really interesting podcast dom does a fantastic job uh this episode episode nine he was uh doing about pugilism well uh kind of uh uh, uh, uh boxing boxing and wrestling sports so he interviewed someone who was uh, uh, um, uh, they were discussing a film about wrestling uh, for, the, for this one because he'd heard my episode on Freddie Mills and because Freddie Mills obviously a Soho empresario and uh, a former boxer and actor uh, it kind of made sense so we, we did a little bit of a discussion uh, we met up we went to the location uh, of where Freddie was murdered on over on Goslett's yard uh, we discussed Freddie Mills. We went back to the pub, had a couple of a couple of cheeky bevies, which was very nice. Um, and so this, what I'm going to do, I'm going to play you just a, a fraction of this. But in the show notes is a link to Soho Bites. So you can check you check out the full episode uh, and it's really good. So here's a clip. With my hands trembling and my knees knocking, I asked him where we were and, fearing the worst, why he had brought me here. We're in a little street called Goslett's Yard. It's just off Charing Cross Road. And we're here because it's here on Sunday the 25th of July 1965 that Freddie Mills died. Freddie Mills was a boxer. That's about as much as I knew until I started looking into this. A good-looking chap. I think you described him in your podcast as having the face of a melted matinee idol or something. Who was he? How big a celebrity was he? How big a figure was he in the public imagination at the time? Uh, Freddie Mills was incredibly important. He wasn't particularly skilled as a boxer, but he could take a pounding. He was a clever man as well, so he started diversifying. He moved into television. As mentioned, he was quite handsome. He had charm, he had charisma, he was able to move into feature films, and he knew that his boxing career was over, TV career wouldn't last, so he diversified, moved into her property, and set up a nightclub. And one of his nightclubs was here, just off Goslett's Yard, uh, a place called Freddie Mills Nightspot. Goslett's Yard, where we are now, I hope listeners can hear that it's quite noisy. There's, we're outside a pub called the Royal George, there's people outside smoking. In those days, it wasn't anything like that, was it? Could you explain uh, what it would have been like back in 1965? It was uh, a very small kind of dead there end. There we go. So I'm going to edit in kind of the, just the first bit in there so you can enjoy that. Uh, it, it started off really well. We were outside... Uh, we we're in Gossett's yard doing the Freddie Mills bit, and uh, you know, all my bits were consistent and clear, and da da da. And then we went to the pub. We had a couple of pints, and it started to go downhill. <laughs> it started getting really, really bad. It's like I couldn't even string a couple of words together. I wasn't drunk. I think it was just just really tired by that point. Anyway, that is episode nine of Soho Bites. Uh, so check that out. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Uh, also to say, uh, let's do this first. So. Um, we've got the um, next show of Secrets of the Serial Killers uh, that I'm doing with uh, myself. I'm doing it with myself, obviously. And uh, uh, Adam from the UK True Crime Podcast. We're doing that on Tuesday the 24th of March at 7pm at Dingwell's in Camden. Uh, really good night last time. 
Uh, so we're doing another one this time. Uh, tickets are selling fast, so if you're uh, coming along, do that. Uh, hopefully all this coronavirus bullshit will be done by then, but uh, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to smear myself with uh, uh, antiseptic so, uh, so uh, we all don't get ill. Uh, but that should be good, so come along, enjoy that. There's oh, a link in the show notes. And this is even more exciting. Let's announce this now. Shit. I've been saying I've been going to do this for a while. And uh, yes, I'm going to do it. Right, this is done. Uh, the web page is done. So um, by the time you get this, you'll look below. You'll see a link in the show notes. It'll probably say something like podcast listeners tour. That's what I'm doing. So the, I'm going to launch the first one. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday, the 22nd of March, 2020. That's Mother's Day, British Mother's Day, not other Mother's Day. It's British Mother's Day at 2 p.m. Uh, and what it's going to be, it's going to be a three-hour tour. Unlike the regular Murder Mile walk that I've done, if you if you do that, you come on the tour. You, it's it's scripted. It's, it's I've got a book with me. Do you know, it's all it's all in order. It all makes sense. It's all st- stories that weave together. But um, because what I want to do for a long time is do a tour where I take you around all of the places that you've heard about on Murder Mile. I'm doing that. So it's unscripted. Uh, I won't have a book with me. Uh, basically, it'll be guided by you. There'll be some things that I'm going, some places that I think we ought to. Oh, just a little fart. Then that was a happy Mother's Day. Um, oh dear, um, that popped out. Um, what it's going to be is a guided walk around around Soho, maybe into Covent Garden. I don't know, maybe into Fitzrovia, in that kind of area, Piccadilly. Not too far because it needs to be walking distance. It's three hours. It'll probably be about a two mile walk. Uh, but it, it, we'll visit all the different places. I won't come with notes. It'll be all the stuff in my head. We'll turn up. We'll have a chat. You can ask me any questions. Uh, we'll look at the places as they as they are. So um, tickets are going to be about £25, which I think is about right, because my regular murder mile walk is about 15 quid, and this is three hours. So, Whew. And they're limited just 30 tickets. I know. Uh, so, uh, but obviously if that goes well, I'll do one a month or something like that. But the great thing is, do you know, if you come on it once and you enjoy it, then, uh, we can go to different locations because we won't be able to get everything in. So, uh, there's a, a route that I think we'll do, but if you say, can we do, uh, Margaret Florence Lowe from the Blackout Ripper? Yep, yeah, we can do that. Can we do the, um, Denmark Place Fire? Yes, we can do that. Can we do Freddie Mills? Yep, yeah, we can do that. So it'll be kind of, you know, do, it it'll be kind of it'll be a bit ad hoc but it'll be good fun and we can just just enjoy ourselves and have a bit of a giggle um and if it goes well we'll i don't know maybe do one in uh have i got enough in paddington probably not but but you know we can move over to uh, covent garden or or piccadilly or stuff like that so Mm. anyway that's going to be uh there's a link to that uh, in the show notes or just go to the the murder mile merch shop and it will be in there it'll be a, a, a little link in there so there we go Ooh, ooh! i didn't add the link to the current episode my brain's all out of sorts at the moment because i because i had two months away research and i'm not used to my usual process of you know each day i have to do certain things for oh each episode of the podcast and i have to remember to do things and oh i haven't done the links on my website yet oh to do that that's really or did i no i did do it i'm all over the shop anyway that's that that's that all done oh right okay i almost went to finish then right i'm glad i've got notes in front of me that's really useful uh right 
going to start going to start wrapping up because we I've waffled enough. So let's do the 10 questions. Everyone ready? Get ready. Okay, as always they start easy and they get hard. So, <gasps> question number 1. What police station was Tradge taken to? Answer Shepherd's Bush Police Station. Question 2. What two occupations did Katerina dream of being? Answer, a pianist and a teacher. Question number three. Katerina was declared dead at what time? 5pm. Question number four. What is the name of the road that the beast lived on? Answer, was Twyford Avenue. That's over in East Acton. Question number five. Did I do that? No. Question number five. What two high-profile events led to the public disinterest in the murder of Katerina? Answer. The death of Princess Diana and the murder of TV, TV presenter Jill Dando. Question number six. What did the beast carry in his shopping bag? There were four things that he carried in his shopping bag. This was when he met the uh, Korean lady. And they were needles and thread for his embroidery and tea and biscuits. Number seven. Who, in my opinion, is the second worst UK Prime Minister in history? And the answer? Theresa May. Mm Hmm. Eight. What was found in Katerina's What was found on Katerina's cardigan? Answer: A strand of the beast's hair. Nope. And a coot in the background just agreed with that. Number nine. What weight was the beast? I snuck this into one of the episode or into this episode, and it was. Uh, uh, you may have heard it. You may not have heard it. You may have. Who knows? But he was 15 stone. And uh, question 10. What episode did the Beast do in West London? If you remembered it, well done. If you've forgotten it, just to let you know, there is a reminder in part one. He does appear in part one before the murder. Before you even see him on the murder, he is there. I put in a little a little sound which will hopefully... I'll make you realise that he's there. Uh, he's early in uh, part two as well. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what he did because he returns in part three and that's kind of where he worked is kind of really important. Ooh, ooh, suspense and excitement. Um, and the extra point as well. Uh, can you name the British kids TV show I used in last week's episode? Um, uh it was used as kind of sound effect of when Katerina was uh, watching television. Uh, it was an episode from May 1997. It was from ITV and it was a TV show called Funhouse. Have a listen to it. It's discreet. It's in there. But I kind of uh, I, I, I found the right episode. I doctored it and I kind of dubbed it down. So it, sound, it sounds a little bit um, a little bit bassy and like it's coming from another room and uh, I think that kind of worked. It was quite haunting as well, having kind of a kids' TV theme in the background uh, as the beast is kind of working his way upstairs. Uh, so, yeah, that was that. Good. 
that's that done. Whew, that was long. So I'm going to start editing this now. Whoa, that'll be the next two days sorted. Oh, uh, and then I'll have a cake in a bit. Cake clock, lovely. Have some tea. Uh, and that's it. Uh, so, oh dear. So uh, I hope. Um, uh, obviously, we got, we got the the new tour coming up. So uh, have a look at that. It, it, it might say sold out already because don't forget, there's only thirty tickets, and people will probably turn up in couples. I'm guessing, or groups. Uh, I'm keeping it at 30. I don't want to have too many people on the tour. I don't want it to become like a real mess. So uh, we'll do some more of those, see how popular they are. So uh, give them a go. Don't forget you can go to the Murder Mile shop online and there's uh, there's all the free ringtones are there that you can download from the series. All the ebooks are there, well, the current ebooks are there. Loads of freebies. Uh, and if you want to, uh, please do uh, leave a review of Murder Mile Online on either your uh, podcast app that you use, except Spotify, because for some reason they don't seem to uh, accept uh, reviews. No one seems to know why. Uh, iTunes is always useful. Any way to get us up the iTunes chart charts is good. Um, and uh, I think a, a link, I might put re-put the link back in here. There was the Podcast Magazine Top 50. If you fancy voting for Murder Marley in one of your uh, top three podcasts, that would be really lovely. That would really help us. Uh, any Anything to help. Obviously, you know, the big podcasts pay a lot of money, like Dr. Death and all that shite, pay a lot of money to be at the top of the charts. Anything by Wondery, they pay a lot of money to a fortune to make sure that you see them and everyone goes, oh, isn't this an amazing podcast? I haven't listened to it yet, but it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. And it's like, oh, it's top of the charts. It must be great. And it's like, no, it's not. It's just they're paying to be at the top of the charts. Therefore, everyone thinks it's great. Therefore, everyone listens to it. It's... uh it's bullshit. Anyway, us little podcasts, we struggle at the bottom because we don't we don't have a lot of money. We we do it all for free. We work out of our bedrooms. So uh, anything you can do to support small independent podcasts is very much appreciated. <gasps> right, I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm going to start doing some work. Anyway, technically that was work. Right, uh, have yourselves a good day. Uh, uh, I'm about to do it. I'll see you soon. I'm not going to see you soon, am I? I'm, uh, unless unless you come on my tour on Sunday, and then I will see you, but I'm waffling. I need cake. Okay, lots of love. Speak to you all. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.